You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. Hi, this is Lady C. And this is JT. Welcome to The Critical Thought. In the upcoming episode, we're going to be talking to an individual that has a rather impressive Watchtower theocratic history. No, she was not born into the organization, but she was a regular pioneer. She was a commuter Bethelite, served with a neat was great, and she knows everyone that we ever knew at Bethel. So we have a lot in common with her in terms of, you know, our Bethel history. So I'd like to welcome Tracy. Hey, thank you so much for having me on the show. I am honored to be here. Um, I'm looking forward to our discussion and hopefully it'll help and encourage other people, inspire them to, if they're sitting on the fence, that they can like get off of it and, you know, be good. <laughs> yeah, we're good in here as well. Yeah, great, great. Fantastic. Excellent, excellent. So anyway, Tracy, would you like to tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the Jehovah's Witnesses because we understand that you were not raised in. My family, they actually, we all knew that Jehovah's Witnesses was a cult. You know, my family was like, they're a cult. So we never really opened the door. But, um, you know, in life, living in the South Bronx, you go through things, situations, emotional vulnerability. And so um, when I, I had, I was friends with kids who had a mom who was witnesses, right? So I would always hang out with them. So one day she came in and she was like, hey, you know, you can live forever on earth. And I was just open at that time. And so I was like, okay, I'll study the Bible. You know, I went home and told my family that, you know, I'm gonna start studying the Bible with Jehovah's Witnesses. And they gave me the side eye like, what? You know that cult? I'm like, nah, it's good. I wanna do this, you know? So my family was like, all right, Sure, go ahead. But you know, my mom is, she's a strong woman because my family just sat back and just watched. You know what I'm saying? They just watched. And, you know, I took off and it didn't matter how much I tried witnessing to them. They were like, no, thank you. <laughs> so that's actually how I um, came in because uh, I think I started studying. I was like, um, I don't know, 18, 19. I got baptized in 19. 85, December 21st, 1985. Yeah. And it just seemed really promising. You know, like you're living in the South Bronx, who wouldn't want to live forever, <laughs> you know, on a paradise earth? Because I wasn't seeing it, you know, where I was living at the time. But um, that's what's actually attracted me. It was the Live Forever book. I like that book a lot. <laughs> yeah. The message always appeals. It really does. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So who who actually studied with you? Was it somebody your age or someone older or how did that how did that work out? Um, it was actually an older person. I used to hang out with her daughters, right? You know, the whole family, you know, we all hung out. And so they never really came into the truth. Maybe one of them later on. But um I was studying with the mother, so she was uh, you know, an, an older sister. She could have like been my mom's age, actually. So then um yeah. what led you on this path to, you know, want to go to Bethel and 
You know, pi- what right. say pioneer? Because you got to be pioneering first. So, right. You wanna- so, you know, for yeah. me, so for me, um, spirituality is important. God is everything to me, even before I came into the truth, you know, well, you know, the truth. You know, my mom, we always had a connection with God. You know, we talked with them. We weren't in religion. My mom had a bad experiences in the church. And she was like, nah, that's not for me. I can do this right here. So I've always had a desire to please God. So, you know, studying the Bible and and learning of it, I'm like one of those people that's gonna, like, I was really sincere. So I'm like, okay, well, I got baptized, right? And so I was like, I want to pioneer. And so they were like, well, you know, you're just coming in. So, uh, you know, maybe you want an auxiliary pioneer. I was like, fine, good. I can do that. Girl, I'm telling you, because I, I was working for the Rockefeller family at that time. <laughs> I would get up at like 536 o'clock in the morning, go out and street work under the train by myself because I couldn't get a partner. And it was in the dead winter. So that means like I got baptized December 21st, 1985. I was out there putting in two hours before I went to work, you know, so I just had a desire to please God. You know, that was my motive, no other motive at all. And so after our auxiliary pioneer, then, you know, I was like, well, hey, let's pioneer, you know, so that's got me started. You know, then I wanted to move to California because I'm like, hey, you know, I want to see what life is like over there. Watching the Brady Brunch growing up, their homes was different from (laughs) where I live in the South Bronx. So I went out to California. But then when I came back, um, I'm like, okay, I've uh, pioneered for some time now. I want to experience Bethel. So I applied to commute and uh, I got in. Can we kind of talk about this commuter Bethelite? Like, can you give the audience an idea of what that is and how you were able to qualify for it? And just give us a little bit of history about what what that was like. Um, That was a really a good experience. You know, one of the brothers that was in charge of uh, the the commuting program, he was in my congregation. So, um, you know, I wanted to go to God's house. Who who don't want to go to God's house, you know, and work amongst his people? So um, I put in my application. Of course, you had to be exemplary, pioneering, you know, in good standing and all of that. And like I said, I was tunnel vision. So, I, you know, I met the qualifications and it was really a good experience. I mean, you know, I look back now some long days because morning worship started at seven o'clock. And at the time when I started commuting, I was living in the Bronx. So that was like an hour and 15 minutes of a commute on the train. But hey, you know, I had zeal. So (laughs) I would like get up every morning, take the train, you know, be at Bethel at seven o'clock for morning worship, which I thought was like really nice. And just, you know, at the time, Brother Franz was still moving around and Genghis was there, Schroeder, all the GBs that were like, I call them my GBs, right? Because when I was in the truth, those were the GBs. And, um, you know, it was just kind of really nice, like listening to their experiences and the stories that they would tell. You know, it was interesting too, because they can get um, on a disciplinary um platform, you know, when they're um, chastising the Bethel family for something (laughs) that they was not supposed to be doing, you know. So I really enjoyed that aspect. And, you know, I um, 
worked in the public areas. So, you know, I worked in um, 124 and towers and um, doing public cleaning, but I also gave tours. You know, I, I remember when I used to just go and, and be the person, you know, touring. And now I was the tour guide, you know, and it was really nice because I met a lot of people um, and, you know, all the sisters that was commuting, you know, I mean, I love them. I still love them. You know, I haven't seen them in forever, but um, we just had a really good experience, you know. Um, and I remember like one time because, you know, you're working like from from eight and then you, you you go for lunch. And so I was never the type of person that tried to look cute when it was time to eat. Because <laughs> I was like hungry and tired at the same time. So there was always a joke. Brothers would be like, yo, Tracy could really, you know, you know, t- wolf down some food. And I'm like, real talk, I can't because I'm hungry and I'm like burning up all this energy. But then, you know, I really also enjoyed the Watchtower study, right? Because, you know, Mondays was real long, right? Because we had the watchtower study and then I had to, you know, commute back to the Bronx. And then eventually, you know, I moved to Brooklyn. That's actually what got me to Brooklyn serving at the um, world headquarters. So, um, yeah, you know, it was a really good experience. We had a lot of fun. You know, I, I enjoyed my experience there. When it stopped being enjoyable, that's when I was like, deuces, you know. But um, I had a really good experience, met some really nice people, got to travel, um, you know, around. And it was, you know, cool. All based on conditions. <laughs> Eventually, I found that out. <laughs> right. But in the moment, it, w- it was good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember when they introduced the the, the commuter Bethlehem program. Um, they pretty much opened up to all the Pinesses throughout all the boroughs, including uh, ones from New Jersey. Um, and yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. Uh, we 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 used to. I mean, I, I remember the guys. We used to talk about y'all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, we had we had yeah we we used to talk about y'all. I mean, we we had pretty you know we had mad respect because y'all guys were. The, I mean, when you consider, for example, you know, you had people. Uh, breakfast, like you said, was seven o'clock in the morning. I know guys; they were they would roll out of the bed at at, at six forty five and wash up, and and they're down in the elevator at seven o'clock. Y'all guys been riding the train for an hour, you know, to get to to, to get to Brooklyn, and uh, and then, mm-hmm. like you said, at night it was really uh, interesting because in the wintertime, you guys had to travel back in the dark, especially with you know when the time changed. So I mean, it was it was really something to watch the uh, the single sisters. Uh, make the sacrifices that y'all guys were making. Wow. Yeah, it was fun. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to know that you liked it because when you think about spending all that time in this religion and to wake up and realize it was for nothing, at least you enjoyed it while you were there. (laughs) You know, how long did you serve at Bethel? Um, I was there from 1990 to 1996. So you were there for six years. So what actually made you want to leave? Yeah, you know, that's a loaded question. It's a loaded question because, um, you know, after a while, I mean, there was definitely experiences that, you know, took place, right? Um, First of all, always like being pulled to the side for something, you know, I don't know, my skirt was, you know, too fashionable. Uh, you know, things like that. Um, 
But I, I was just like, I came to a point where I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, take care of myself. You know, I didn't want to um, be living with, you know, sisters for the remainder of my life. Right. So I'm like in my 30s and I'm like, I'm going to need to get me an apartment, get some health insurance, you know, just take care of myself. And then not only that, it just started becoming like really robotic. Right. Like the relationships that I had, it just seemed that everything was like platonic, like there was like no depth for me anymore. You know, a lot of the sisters that um, was commuting, you know, they got married. And so there was just a couple of them around, you know, that was still single around me. And I'm just kind of I just I I was just done. You know, I'm like, this is not bringing me any joy anymore. You know, I'm 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 tired. I need to like get an apartment and you know fix my place up. And I want to go out Saturday and sit down in the cafe and have coffee. It was like really just that. I was just tired of doing it. And since I'm a person that if I'm doing anything, and I know my God knows my heart, and He knows my feelings and and how I'm feeling, I can't hide from Him. So I really didn't really care what anybody else thought, but I had to be, um, you know, I had to make the transition, you know, smooth because when you tell somebody you're leaving Bethel, you know, the brothers want to sit down like, Hey, what's going on? Why are you, you know, why are you leaving? Is there anything wrong? And I didn't want to have that whole conversation, you know, or interview. I'm like, I gave from my heart. It was sincere and now I'm ready to stop and I shouldn't be badgered. So there was this one brother who I loved dearly, um, him and his wife. I felt cool with him. So I sat down and I was like, hey, I'm ready to leave and uh, I'm going to need some help with this. And he was like, yo, you could do that. And he told me he was like, the less you say is better. So he told me exactly what to write. Thank you so much for this opportunity, this privilege to serve here at Bethel. I am, you know, leaving. So it was that simple. And so I didn't have a discussion with, you know, the Bethel elders and the people that got me in. I just submitted the letter. And, um, you know, after that letter went in, then everyone was like, oh, you're you're leaving. I'm like, yeah, time to go. It was nice. Thank you. But it just started. It it was just too robotic for me. It it wasn't coming from my heart anymore. And if I ain't giving it from my heart, there's no need for me to be, you know, in it. <laughs> so that's why I left. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's really difficult um, because when you get the belt, the one of the things you see, especially for females, uh, everything is very, very limited in terms of what you can do. Um, I, I know, let, let me ask you this because you were a regular pioneer. Because you became a commuter Bethelite, how did that impact or what arrangement did they have for you in terms of having to get your time like you did in the past before you became a commuter Bethelite? So, um, like while I was at Bethel, because we had to get 10 hours, you know, that was our um, requirement, 10 hours. And that was kind of rough, right? You would think 10 hours, I used to get 90, right? Because pioneering back then, it was 90 hours. I used to get 90 hours, but getting in 10 hours working secularly, because I mean, I also had, like when I start regular pioneering, I switched to part-time work. So, you know, I had three days where I was like working full-time and then my days 
at Bethel, they were long, you know, because you had the Thursday meeting, the book study, you know what I mean? So they were long days. So the weekend, I'm like, I'm tired. And then depending on what congregation you're in, how, how long is people staying out, right? Because where I was, they weren't really staying out long. <laughs> so, and I, I was tired of getting up, going to street work, you know, because I worked all week. So, I mean, I would get like six, seven hours, you know, barely hitting 10. I mean, it was rough. It was really rough. And not because I didn't want to do it. It's just that my schedule was intense, you know? So, um, you know, I tried to um, keep the 10 hour uh, quota, but, you know, I fell below several times. But, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm doing the best I can, you know. But when I literally left from commuting and then, you know, I still pioneered for a bit. Right. I'm like, oh, now how are we going to do this? We got to hit them concrete. We got to hit the concrete again. You know what I'm saying? We got to go back out in street work. We got to knock on some doors. And uh, I can't say that I was looking forward to that, you know, because I, I've done it before. I went into Bethel and you know, knowing the territory that I'm in, people really wasn't listening. And so it's kind of like you're out there giving and giving and giving and um, or wanting to share the message and giving up your time, right? You know, because I was being sincere. But then you wind up just working with people and y'all talking amongst yourselves. And it's like cold, rainy. And, um, you know, they just kept, you know, pioneering is the way, you know. So I did it for a little bit. And then I was just like, we ain't doing this no more. How were you treated by the friends or the brothers and sisters after you left Bethel? What was that experience like? Okay. Oh, okay. Well, that, that was interesting because, um, you know, they were all shocked. Um, but, um, you know, they were just looking at me differently. Like, what is she going to do? You know, I remember one brother saying to me, oh, yeah, now that you're leaving, you're going to be talking about Bethel. Like, yeah, well, let me tell you this about them and let me tell you that about them. And, you know, to myself, I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to do that. You know, the state, they still considered my family, you know, my home. <laughs> but um, because I I don't know if I should like when I started um I wanted to serve where the need was great. You know, the friends was really supportive. Even the, my Beth, the Bethel friends, you know, they chipped in and, you know, helped me, sent me on my way so I can go to the DR. So they were um, really supportive initially. However, I was still feeling that some were just kind of looking at me, you know, with a side eye. And, you know, energy is powerful. So, you know, I would pick up on that. And, you know, I had one brother when I was like, I'm leaving, you know, I was, I was just leaving Bethel. That's it. Right. And he was like, well, you know, you want to be careful, you know, because Serena, you know, the Williams, right. They were the tennis players. I can't remember the other one names, Serena and the other sister. He was like, you know, they're in the truth and they're doing good. So, you know, don't get out there and get distracted. And in my brain, I'm like, this is not even where I'm going. You know, I'm just stopping commuting, you know? So, um, so they were, they were good with me, you know, for a while when I served where the need is great. But then once I got off the pioneer list, oh, 
Yeah. I, I, I noticed a shift. Yeah. And see, you know, you know, what I find, Tracy, is just the fact that how they were treating you just because you wanted to leave Bethel, you know, and, you know, and so as long as you were doing something in full time service, I guess they were still treating you pretty decent. Right. Well, Tracy, you mentioned that when you left Bethel, you were going to go serve in the DR. Can you give us a little bit of history about that experience? Well, um, you know, we would always have different speakers that would come to the hall, right? So um, this brother came to the hall and he was sharing slides on how there's people that serving in the DR. And it was really encouraging. You know, they were showing the, the, the country, the territory. Um, and of course, you know, if you want to capture me, you know, this is a way that, you know, we can show God that we love them and we can help humanity, you know, along those lines. And so I was like, hey, I want to do that, you know, and, um, you know, I had to apply for it and, and got accepted. But um, because I was tired of just the, the typical pioneering thing, you know, going out, same territory, same building, same people. I'm like, something right. Like there's no progress being made. You know, you're doing something. You want to feel like it's productive, right? You know, can I get 10 Bible studies or something? Or, you know, can I get some good return visits? But I mean, it was like depletion. So I'm like, well, how am I going to hang on? You know, I mean, I need to do something that I feel like I'm making progress, something different. So once I saw that, I'm like, okay, well, we're going to do that. Let's do that. Let's see if this is going to, you know, fill my little emptiness I was feeling or dissatisfaction that I was feeling with service and, you know, coming to an end on, um, you know, pioneering. Let me see if this is going to help me out. So. That's actually why I went to the Dominican Republic. And it was a beautiful experience, right? I lived in Mocha for three months in the country, in the Campo. And um, and at that time, it was considered a third world country. You know, I've never in my life seen anything like it because we would go out in service in the country, walk down muddy roads. It was dark when it would rain. The soil was black. But we go to these huts and like they had towel on dirt you know like there's a ground and it was just towel on the floor and so I'm just like well who this is interesting right because you would think that you would get some concrete to lay down but I guess they were really that you know poor and they're very hospitable and and loving and caring but what tripped me out is that they didn't have a floor but they had a flat screen tv like a 45 inch flat screen tv so I was just a little confused because I'm like they would spend money on a TV, but they don't have a floor. And then there was chickens running around. I really felt like I was in a twilight zone, but I'm like, this is the kind of stuff that I wanted to just be able to see and experience. You know what I'm saying? So um, we would, you know, I enjoyed that um, experience and just being able to look up and see the stars and, um, you know, because in the city, you don't really get to see that often. So I, I really enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, I traveled around. There was this one sister um, who was a teacher in Santiago, Santiago, right? The big city. 
So I went to go see her and was able to, and she was teaching English, but just being able to be in the culture with the people. And because I didn't really know Spanish, so I was learning Spanish and I did have my presentation down and I would, um, you know, have my book there and, you know, say what I thought was correct Spanish, right? So the locals was pretty cool with it, you know, and they were, they was like, I, I understand, I understand, you know, because I, I, I was doing the best I could. However, you know, in the, in the organization, you know, they got to correct you on everything. Well, you're supposed to use esta, not esta, right? And I'm saying, hey, it's the message I'm giving, okay? So maybe my Spanish grammar is not correct, but isn't it the message that we're trying to get through, you know? But overall, I really enjoyed the um, experience. It was, um, you know, it was nice. But I'll tell you this too, I also was feeling like, well, this is a nice experience, but I'm happy that I have my place where I can go back home. You know, I, I was feeling at that point, God bless the United States, because... <laughs> You know, you never really you take for granted what you have, like running water. You know, the water would get cold. I felt like I was living on a little house on a prairie because there was just some days where, you know, the water would be cold and we had to like do the whole bucket type situation, lizards walking around. But it was an experience I enjoyed, you know, but I was ready to come back when it was time. At my, when my third month was up, I was like, okay, time to go. I did get into a little situation with this one sister. She was vanilla. And um, I don't know. She, I don't know. She she must have thought that she was like the, you know, the house rule. You know, she, she set rules and you're going to have to do this and you're going to have to clean and you're going to have to do this. And I was looking at her like, I'm here for three months. I know how to clean up after myself. And I'm not following. I was not following the Bethel schedule in the Dominican Republic. I'm like, I, I didn't come here for that because I've already experienced that at Bethel. And so here we're, I'm just going to live in the house and clean up after myself. I'm not working on a schedule. And she literally kind of like stepped to me like she was, you know, going to, uh, <laughs> I don't know, do something. I just looked at her and was like, yo, you need to just sit down somewhere because that's not going to roll over with me. You know, and mind you, she was one of the ones that was out there riding on a bicycle with the world of guys, <laughs> getting in, having little too close relationships with the men that they tell us not to get too close with. Mm -hmm. I was like, girl, sit down, go sit down somewhere and be quiet. All right. But um, it was a good it was a good experience. All oh, was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so she's trying to tell you what to do in the inside. But she got she's she she got right. something else going on, on the outside. Right. 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 Like, who are you talking to? You really did have a, a, an experience there. <laughs> Okay, so, <laughs> okay, so Tracy, you want to give us like the major crack in your foundation with this religion? So, so um, the crack in my foundation was uh, the leadership wasn't representing the organization as a whole, meaning, you know, there's black, Chinese, white, Asian, right? And so rooming with some sisters, um, they had art up on the wall that wasn't a representation of people that look like me. So I went out and bought art 
of representation that looked like me. And so, you know, they thought that was a little questionable, but they lived with it because we all were the same race. And another one that really hit home, right, is when that Jehovah's Proclaimers book came out. And I'm like, another book, right? And so the brother in the hall says, "Um, I want you all to read this book because this is your history and this is your family. So I opened up the book and I'm looking at all the pages and I saw no representation of who I was. I'm like, I do know my grandparents and I know my history and my history does not look like that. And so that was, you know, the beginning of me um, seeing things a little differently. A lot of people say that because we we had interviewed a goat-like personality and he was talking mm-hmm. about the same thing, but oh, everybody everybody too. was Caucasian, but they, they had a different um, origin in Europe that did not right. look the way these other people looked. And in the United States, it looked different. To, to us, all right. of them were white, but to them... They right. weren't all on the Them same got page. You. Right? right? Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, let, with, <laughs> so, 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 so here's a question I had. So, can I just say something? I okay. What I would do, I would call Bethel, right? Because when I, I forgot this, it's coming. When I stopped commuting, right, I would call Bethel, like, because I used to call the brothers and ask for certain things, and they wasn't answering my phone calls anymore. I was like, when I was commuting, they were like, hey, Dre, what's up? What's going on? How, what's going And so when I started calling them after I left Bethel, I was no longer being put through. So when I figured, okay, so I'm not going to ask for the brothers. I'm going to ask for the wives because I knew, you know, I knew the wives. So, you know, I, I spoke with um, one of the, you know, the sisters who was a Bethel Elmer's wife. And so I would just, you know, and, she, and she's loving and, and sweet. I mean, they don't, you know, we don't communicate anymore, but um, I had told us that, well, because I was out, you know, and um, inactive. And I said, well, you know, once they get a black GB, maybe I'll think about coming back and we get a black president or something. I just need to see more blackness in my life. <laughs> and then uh, Barack started running for president and then, you know, her came in. I was like, nah, that's still ain't going to get me back. <laughs> it was just funny. How that rolled out. <laughs> Still oh didn't, didn't make me come back. <laughs> I guess not. Well, you had a lot going on there. So they were probably talking about you. They were probably saying, oh, see, she left Bethel. And now she's talking about black governing body members and stuff. We knew she wasn't spiritual. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's true. What they do. Well, that's what they do. They try to find every way they can demonize you. <laughs> you know, it's that. true. Nope, you I, know. Knew was, I knew there so, was something wrong with her. Right. Man. <laughs> So Tracy, tell us a little bit about that field that day out in field service when you knew that this was going to be the end of everything. What was that like? Yeah, because um, again, you know, I was thinking like, how can I leave the organization without any repercussions, right? Because if you're giving from your heart and you're giving sincerely, I don't, I couldn't understand how I would be, you know, punished if I just wanted to stop, right? And you know, you can't just go in and be like, oh, I'm. I ain't going to be a witness anymore without you getting disfellowshipped or whatever. And I've always wanted to maintain that bridge, you know, to have the connection of the friends that I knew. So, um, you know, my reasoning was um, 
I, I didn't want to live a double life and I was getting a little thirsty. And I wanted to drink Poland Spring, you know, all different brands of water, smart water. And I didn't want to be a hypocrite. So I'm like, wow. I said, if I stop going out in service, then that would mean that I'm not bringing reproach because I'm not actually representing the organization. So um, I was like, that's it. I'm just going to stop going out in service. This is it. Because, you know, if I'm not preaching and then doing something that scripturally I'm not supposed to be doing, there's no reproach. So I just, and it was coming to the head, but I was walking out in service and it was like 10 of us, maybe 12 of us on a block. Hold the magazines. Ain't nobody around. We all talking amongst ourselves. And I just said, I'm finished. And so, um, yeah, it was on Fourth Avenue between Baltic and Warren Street. I just made that choice. And I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I said, but it's interesting how right now I reasoned and said, right now, I'm looking like a real spiritual person. I'm pioneering. And yet this goes to show that nobody knows what's going on inside of a person's heart or you don't know their motives. You know, I said, but my God knows my motives. And since I didn't want to bring reproach on the organization or his name at the time, that was my reasoning. I'm like, I'm just going to stop going out in service, you know, and I'm I'm just going to stop doing this. That's what that's the conversation I had in my head. And that ever since that day, I, I just didn't go back out in service. You mentioned that um, you reached a point where you just couldn't do it anymore. Do you think that's something that for a lot of people, that's what becomes a realization for them as well? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, they definitely, because with speaking with the friends out in service, you know, I mean, because I was active and, you know, considered, you know, doing well in the truth, we would have these conversations, you know what I'm saying? But they were doing it because I guess, you know, they felt that this is God's approval. But in my gut, I was like, this is not... <laughs> Um, you know, it just wasn't sitting right with me. So I think a lot of people stay just because of wanting to please people. And I've never had the agenda of pleasing people. That was never the reason why I came into the organization. Auxiliary pioneer, pioneer, commuted, went to the need is great. It was all because I wanted to please my God. And then learning that um, the God is within me. You know, we're created in God's image. And my intuition is telling me something is not right. It's off because the truth will set you free. The truth will make you feel happy. You know what I'm saying? Like we supposed to be like this, you know, instead everybody just like this. And I told myself early on in the truth, because, you know, you would see people that's been in the truth for a while and they seem to be a little bitter and angry. I said, if I ever get to that point, you know, I can't be in this anymore. So I didn't get all the way there, but I felt it coming up. I felt resentment coming up. And so I had to make a decision. And so, you know, I chose to opt out, but I know a lot of people feel and think that way, but because of family that they have and, and wanting to please, you know, people, you hear something long enough, you start to believe it. That's why you got to like put all that stuff aside. And I was stop reading the magazine, stop going to the meetings. I'm like, I need to uh, unprogram myself. Yeah, so they think about it. Yeah, that's uh -huh. an excellent point. I, I I fully agree, and we often have the discussion as well. 
um, people at, at, at the end of the day, so many people who actually go and sit in the kingdom hall, they're merely there has nothing to do with God, Jesus, Moses, Bible. They're there to please other people. And if you're living your life to please other people who at the end of the day will not think anything of of you, if you tell them how you felt, that's really unfortunate because if you tell these people exactly Mm -hmm. how you feel, family, friends, and they're like, well, I'm done with you. You sit there and wasted all these years trying to please somebody. And it was really for nothing. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. really a good point. I I know that's where it was for us. We had just reached a point. I I remember I told my wife, I says, if the end doesn't come and, in the next three years, I'm out of here. And we lasted for yeah. six months and then we was out. So, um, <laughs> hey, it was hard. And so once you once you realize this, you, you, at that point, you, you then have to start making other decisions. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. the point that you made about uh, being at Bethel and not seeing people who look like you is very powerful because that was a conversation that we used to have at Bethel all the time among the African-American brothers. I remember asking some very, very prominent uh, African-American, you know who they are. These guys are major players at Bethel. Um, and we would ask them in the private company, man, we need a black coming body, man, we need a black coming body. You know? <laughs> and if we were always, we got to wait, ain't time. And we were like, well, it's, it ain't time for who? Because we ready. So who is it? It's not ready. Who's not ready for this? Because black brothers ready. And so, and so that is something that has always stood out to me. Um, if you, when you were at Bethel as a commuter, you look around and you see many times a lot of the powerful positions and decision-making capacities at Bethel, oftentimes they were not held by people who look like us. Um, and I mean, we had some, I remember some Bethelites, man, these boys are straight up radicals, boy. I mean, they could have been members of the nation of Islam. I mean, because they, it was, it was really something that really bothered these guys a lot. And um, for an organization that touts its international flavor, if you look at the leadership throughout the history of this organization, like you said, they told you, take a look at the Proclaimers book. This is your history. No, it ain't my history. I wasn't the, my granddaddy. You know? And so that's kind of the, 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 the Achilles heel. It's, um, it is the unspoken issue that exists in this organization that is not talked about. Uh, the African-American brother uh, many times is told to just hold on, be patient, wait. And so this is a conversation a lot of people feel very, very uncomfortable discussing. I mean, it is a conversation that a lot of people, they just feel, I can't talk about this. And we've often brought this up. Even after we left this organization, uh, there were those like, well, I don't talk about that. But but it's a reality. Um, for people, especially African-American bros, we often, I mean, the joke was always, you know, when in the, often, you often hear this in the African-American community, you know, when white people sneeze, black folks get pneumonia. And so to be in an organization that we were a part of, uh, like the point that you made, you reached a point in your life where you said, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. I, I'm not married and I'm coming to Bethel every day as a commuter. Um, what in the world am I going to do with my life? And and that is something that, that, that when you left Bethel, you had to get back into the real world. Um, and sometimes for African-Americans, when they have to get back into the real world after leaving Bethel, they oftentimes run into additional issues, employment opportunities and things like that. I mean, that has been the experience I have personally seen. And I've, I have and I have and since I have left the organization, I have intentionally I have intentionally had this conversation with uh, with with white former witnesses. And, you know, we you know we, we we've had some very interesting discussions. And I mean, some of these guys. 
they were just very honest about it. <laughs> JT, he was doing when I left, man. I, I called up so-and-so and he you know he's on the city council. And my daddy knew him. And but see, my daddy don't know nobody on the city council. So <laughs> right. So so yeah. certain just certain doors. Just just I mean, just being realistic, there's just certain doors that if you are not in certain segments, you may not see those doors. And of course, it's it's not for everyone. Every single person is not going to benefit from it. But we live, we have to be realistic. And so when you when you are part of a religion that teaches you to not do well, not go to school, and then you have the societal issues you got to deal with, it can make it actually hard for someone who comes from African American background. Yeah, yeah. What I wanted to mention that when I made that decision to, like when I was out in service and I said I'm not going to do this anymore. Now remember, I had to um, cease the opportunity to tell the brothers to get off the school, right? Because you can't just stop service and still be on a school. They still going to look at you as, you know, a publisher. So I'm like, I made the choice, but then I'm like, okay, so how am I going to tell the brothers, just walk up and say, you can take me off the school, right? Without it being this, you know, big deal. Interestingly, I'm sitting in a meeting and it was a part, you know how they have the local parts, local needs. And they were saying, well, you know, I know some of you friends, um, you know, you want to do a lot in service and you can't. And it's OK. You know, I mean, God knows if you need to come off to school just to get your life together or, you know, because of sicknesses and health. They were pretty much probably referring to the elderly people. But I took that opportunity right after they said, Amen. Because he just was up there on the platform saying that if the school is too much and you feel like you need to, you know, to get off for a while, you know, don't, you know, feel ashamed to come and let us know. Amen. I went right up to the school overseer. Um, you know, brother, um, I want to get off the school um, right now. I just need some time. And I think it was such a shock that he looked. He was like, oh, OK. Right. Because. He didn't expect it. So that's how I got off the school. And I, you know, I never came back on, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of worked out. Yeah. And, and, out. As, as, as you tell your story, you, you, you really emphasize and demonstrate that when you start giving up or losing status positions in this organization, you begin to be treated accordingly. And, and ladies and I, we had a conversation just before we, we got with you online this morning about how it's amazing that all of these types of status positions, none of them in the Bible. I mean, we judge people based on whether they're still a pioneer, elder, Bethelite, whatever it is. And these are all artificially made statuses for the most part. All the titles that we have, commuter Bethelite, these are all basically man-made titles. And we judge people on their spirituality and how we treat them based on these positions. And I mean, it, 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 it was laughing about, would it be amazing if, if we judge people based on, you know, this brother just has outstanding fruits of God's spirit, but we don't do that. We, we do it on these artificially made value systems that, that the organization has given us over the years. It's really sad. Absolutely. It really is. Right. Yeah. So so it yeah. Really so Tracy. Is. So now so now. What did your family? What um. Oh, yeah. So you because you're not raised in the organization. You're not like the average person leaving and yeah. worrying about their family not speaking to them or anything like that. But when you decided to leave, right. Did you tell your family that you were leaving and why and how did that reunion take place? Right. <laughs> well, 
Well, actually, I never stopped um, hanging out with my family, right? So, and you know, they were considered worldly. It would always like annoy me when they would be like, you know, your worldly family and worldly people. And, you know, I would just sit there and be like, they're my family. So I went to go hang out with my family and every opportunity I could get, you know, I went to visit my mom, my nieces, I stayed in their lives. So when I decided that, you know, I'm not going to be a witness anymore. Right. So I told them, I was like, um, I said, Hey, I just want y'all to know that, um, you know, I'm no longer going out in service. And I told them, I said, I still respect the organization. This is when I was taking the brunt. Now I didn't know anything about XJWs and, you know, what they would consider an apostate. This was just straight up my choice, my decision, my gut, not feeling comfortable. I said, Hey, I'm, you know, I don't go out in service anymore. Um, you know, I'm an inactive witness and, um, you know, I'm not a Jehovah's witness anymore. I don't really want to do that anymore. And so my family was like, what are you sure? Cause you know, I was so gun ho So they're just like, really? Like what happened? And I was like, no, nah, it's me. You know, I just want to live a different lifestyle. And so, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I'm just leaving. And they were just all like, wow, you really going to leave? You going to leave? I said, yeah, I'm going to leave. And it took them a minute to get used to it. You know what I'm saying? Because then, you know, when they would have, you know, their Christmas or parties, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm here now. You know what I'm and I didn't want to show up like that and and still be, you know, letting them think I'm connected to the organization. Because remember, my goal was always to be like, I don't want to bring a reproach on the organization, a reproach on Jehovah's name. I'm the black sheep. I'm the one, you know, wanting to do things that's not considered exemplary. So I'll take the brunt, you know. So when I told my family, they was just kind of like, oh, okay. All right, because, you know, I was always, you know, giving props to the organization, but I just told them I'm, I'm not going to be doing this anymore. And they're like, oh, and it took a time. You know, my mom would be talking with some of her friends over the phone. She was like, well, you know, my my daughter, um, she was a Joe. I said, Ma, stop telling people that I am no longer Joe's. <laughs> so it took her a minute to, like, even stop referencing me. As a witness, I'm like, stop re referencing me as a witness because I'm not a witness anymore. You know, I, I totally, um, you know, backed away. So, yeah, my family just thought it was um, interesting. And my niece had started studying. And, yeah, it's a little story behind that. But when she was having, you know, some issues with some people, I was like, you need me to come up there and straighten that out. Because we ain't doing this, you know, because now, you know, my niece is in it. And even though I still wasn't looking at XJWs, I'm just going based off of how I know things go down, you know, within rooms and based on, you know, people being single in situations. And I'm like, I, I was going to allow that to happen to my niece. So I said, if you ever need me to come in in any of the meetings that they want to have you in. I said, I'm coming with you, despite. And she was like, no, it's okay. It's okay. She's no longer one either. I don't even know if she ever got baptized, but I don't know. So, yeah, they just was like, wow, okay. I said, yep, time for the next phase. You know, we got to 
life is a journey. You know what I'm saying? And you got to live, live it to the best of your ability. It's non-negotiable. It's a gift. You know, there's no politics in it. Yeah. Right. Let, well, let me. Oh, go ahead, JT. Let me ask you a question, because I, I think mm-hmm. this is this to me. This is the, this is the this is the absolute most important aspect about what we do. Um, you, you made the statement that you did not want to bring reproach on Jehovah's name. You didn't want to bring reproach on Jehovah's organization. Okay. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that witnesses often accuse those who leave. In fact, this is the standard doctrine that they're taught. This is what every single Jehovah's Witness knows and understands. When you leave, you are leaving because you want to do what's wrong. You want to do badness. And that's why you left. Once you realize this ain't the truth, once you realize that we work for a book publishing company based out of Brooklyn, New York, you ain't, you ain't bringing no shame on God. You ain't bringing no reproach on God. Ain't got nothing to do with God. We, they sold it to us and we bought it that this Hawking these books throughout the the Bronx and up in Harlem where I was, we were told this going to make God happy. You hawking these books. But when you realize this ain't got nothing to do with God and being hawking no worthless books that in 10 years are going to be thrown in the trash. When that dynamic changes and now you are looking at a religion or a group of people that ain't got jack to do with God. Does that change how you feel in terms of I left because I didn't want to go along because that's what everybody accuses. And, 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 and I'm, 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 I'm very dogged on that because see, that's what I let people know very clearly. I didn't leave because I want to go out and sit crack. I left because I realized it was the truth. I left because I realized y'all lied to us and we just calling you out. We just calling you out. So don't start saying, JT, you want to go out there and swing on poles. No, 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 no. You ain't doing that to me. No, no. You I'm not going to give that. You ain't getting this one. You ain't getting this one. Right. We left right. because we realized that you had sold us a bill of goods and we just called you out on it. And now you want to dog us. So when I hear people say, you know, I, 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 I left because I didn't want to live by the root. No, no. These ain't got nothing to do with God's rules. These are man-made rules. <laughs> and do it, God. And so, and so my, my, my question, yeah. And so my question is, as, as you look back now and you realize that this is not what it was sold to us as being, because when you became a witness, you came in with full zeal. We, we're what we're, we're, you're the type of Bible study that we brag about. She's, man, she, she's out field service in the snow. We, we, we was proud of people like that. And see, I know exactly where you was at. I was down in Harlem. So I know exactly what you were doing. We had no buildings in Harlem. Our territory car would be two blocks and be one building in the whole block. One, and it's a crack house. And so you just walk in the whole block. You just walk in the block. We just little magazines out. And then you have this Sunday morning, eight o'clock and nine o'clock in the morning. Ain't nobody, everybody, everybody home because they was drunk out on Saturday night. Everybody home. You own, that would be, that would be, I went out and field service on some Sunday mornings because our meetings were in the afternoon. There would be more Jehovah's Witnesses on the streets of Harlem than anybody else. Other congregations. How y'all brothers doing? Oh, we doing really good over here. We was out of Hawkins worthless books. So, so, so now that you realize that this is not the truth, this has not, it never been the truth. That's the whole problem. And like, it didn't like it started. Mm -hmm. It just never, it was a book selling company. I sold books. Mm -hmm. Um, As you Mm -hmm. look back now and you see 
What do you say to yourself now as you look at what you were a part of and how they gave you a twisted value system, a twisted value system? You left mm-hmm. the United States, went down to, to the Dominican Republic. You could have got all kinds of you could have got all kinds of diseases. And with no insurance, you would have had to come back here and Bethel wouldn't have picked up a tab. They wouldn't have said, well, sister, since you were serving down there, we're going to help you. They would have done that. You would have had to go sick. Yeah. You had to be sick. And so, I mean, so so this is the kind of crazy stuff that we did. We we literally put our lives. No, we put our lives with this organization. We right, rolled up on folks right. who got dogs. We knocking in bills. Right. I know sisters were going some crack houses, man. Those guys could have grabbed them sisters. You would never seen them again. And so we put mm-hmm. our lives at risk for for what? Right. And, right. and now if you look back, you can see how people like I can't do that. I can't do that. And right. so as you right. look at what, what you are a part of now, what do you see when you look at this now? This whole problem. Oh, well, yeah. I, yeah, I got an answer to that. Um, so initially when I left, right, not want to bring reproach on the organization. And, you know, I was like, well, I'm just going to die. I don't got a problem with it. Right. But there was something in my gut was like, but this is not right. So I start, you know, meditating, praying. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not supposed to be within this organization and I don't care because love should be the the um the identifying mark and their love is off you know it's off so um you guys were the first video that I saw right because um you know they t- I wasn't even looking at you know any apostates because I'm like nah this is my decision I you know I don't want any parts of that but I was scrolling on YouTube and I saw you two, Lady C and JC. And I said, I know them. I know those. They served at Bethel. So that gave me the confidence and the comfortability to let me hear what they got to say. Right. So when I clicked on and listened, I said, oh, so everything I'm feeling inside is literally legit about this organization, right? Because I wasn't talking to anybody bad about it. I wasn't, you know, looking up, doing any research. I just made my decision and said, I'm living with it. And when I said that I was leaving, you know, I wanted to go to the cafe, travel, hang out with people that I met that wasn't in the organization and just do things, just live a normal life, you know, other than the restrictions. So when I start watching XJW's, uh, videos. My mouth was like this. Oh shit! I'm like, yo, they are everything that I felt on the inside, but yet I still had a doubt. I thought it was me. So um, when I look back now, I do not have a problem sitting here on your channel, sharing my experiences, letting people know that. They ain't interested in your welfare. They don't really love you because love does is not based on conditions. You can love me um, unconditionally. That doesn't mean that you have to ad- adapt to my lifestyle, do what I do. But Jesus hung out with all types of people, hoes, prostitutes, gamblers, you know, the whole shebang. So showing love is an identifying mark that they lack. But they real slick, though. You know, they slick. They slick in how they do things. So um, when I found that out, I was like, hmm, okay. Oh, that's how y'all going to play it? <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Right? So 
I'm just sharing my story just in case anybody's viewing it. Now, we know they don't supposed to be watching it. And ain't nobody going to come up to me and say, oh, I saw you on that channel because I'm like, what you doing watching it? You shouldn't even be watching it. So I'm going to report your behind to the brothers because you shouldn't even be watching it. But they are watching. So if there's anyone that's, you know, having doubts or need confirmation for, you know, making the choice that they need to for their freedom, because the truth will set you free. There are no type of restriction should be placed on a person living their life. That's the whole point of life. You 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 make decisions, some are good, some are bad, you learn from it, but through it all, you just show love and, and be kind to people. So yeah, they th that whole GB thing now, it, it's kind of like, it's like gone bad. So the governing body, governing body gone bad. GB, GB. How about that? That's how I view. Now the rank and file, whole different story, you know, but the leaders, I'm like, y'all are, they're a joke to me. Now they look like I'm cartoon characters in all sincerity. I don't, I don't know how other way to say it. Yeah, they run, they run, the, they run the flim flam. Uh, Lady C had mentioned something. Yeah, they run the flim flam. Uh, Lady C had mentioned something that I thought was very interesting in our discussion that we were having just before we came, just before we started this. She said they love the boxes. They love the boxes. And... What she was talking about, and I, and, I, and I want you to share the audience, when you simply just back up, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm just, what label did they bring out? What, what they, they brought that card out and slammed it on the table. What label did they give you because all you did was backed up some? Right. Well, um, I had you? one brother. I had one brother who was at Bethel um, called me an apostate. I ain't never seen an apostate film. Yeah, I hear it is. I'm I'm trying to not bring reproach. So I was labeled an apostate. I said, well, I'm be <laughs> like, really? Really? You know, and I was offended because I'm like, I'm not even my thought process wasn't even there. Here it is. I'm still trying to make your organization look good. And you're gonna call me an apostate. So, you know, that was, you know, floating around. And but the people that knew me and cared for me, like they were still cool, but just giving me the side eye because I like to travel. So, you know, even though I was inactive, I wasn't going out in service. But every once in a while, you know, I would just be like, oh, let me go to the hall. You know, so one day I'm walking into the hall. And so brother was like, oh, it's so good to have you at God's house. And I looked at him. I said, this is my God's house. You don't got to welcome me. This is my father's house, too. Like please, you know, but I was just getting a treatment like I was a, a visitor. And I'm like, I'm not a visitor. I've been in this organization for years and been at the forefront as far as the sister is concerned. So, um, you know, um, and then people, I wanted to travel and I would try to be like, hey, you guys want to go to Jamaica or you want to go here? And so everyone, you know, they didn't really want to, you know, hang out, travel with me anymore. So, you know, I stopped getting calls. So I was just like, oh, Oh, it's like that, you know, but like I said, I still have a few that are cool, but, you know, most of them kind of like just backed away, you know, and I was like, deuces, you know, see you later. So, yeah, they put me in a box. And now that I know what I know, I'm like, would you like me to share some receipts with you? Because yeah. we don't even right. know half the stuff that happens yeah. in the organization. I'm, I'm telling you, yeah. that's exactly that's right. It's crazy. Yeah. It is, it, they, they, the, the whole goal is to humiliate you 
uh, intentionally. For, let me give you just a perfect example. If Lady C and I were to go back to the Kingdom Hall right now, you could have an elder on the body who would say, "Let's let let's let uh, Denise and, and 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 Jonathan study with Brother JT and Lady C." Now, the couple that they will assign to study with us may have been baptized one or two years. And then they're going to tell us and we're going to go through the book to learn about Jehovah and Jesus and Moses. And they would do that intentionally to see are you humble enough. I mean, this organization plays Mickey Mouse. Oh, they play Mickey Mouse games all the time just to humiliate people. And they're good at it. I mean, they got it down to a science. I mean, you got, as they say, you got to recognize game when you see game. And they got it. They got it. Right. Yeah. There was a time when I was thinking about going back, right? I was like, oh, because it's true. When you don't know the truth about the truth, right? There's always that little, like, well, if if I was to get involved in a religion, you know, it would be Jehovah's Witnesses, right? So there was a time when I was thinking about going back, right? So I started reasoning with myself. And, you know, I went to the hall and I'm sitting there and I'm just looking around. And so they were supposed to get someone, you know, a brother was supposed to come talk to me. Do you know, like, they never, like, really came? And then, because I was like, so what's up? I thought, you know, how does the process work? I'm, I'm telling you that I'm interested in maybe coming back, but I'm going to need some assistance. So how this going down? No shade. I ain't really trying to give no shade. But they finally arranged the two brothers to come over. So I'm sitting here. And one of them, you know, really can't read or speak well. And God bless them. You know what I'm saying? And then there was another younger, you know, brother. Do you realize I was sharing scriptures with them, encouraging them. I'm like, this is this is a little twisted. Like, why aren't they, you know, sharing encouragement with me? Like, why am I encouraging them? It was just crazy. So, yeah, they do that. You know, they're going to send somebody that's... um, incapable of intellectualizing and having, you know, adult conversation and being realistic about life. They do it all, they do it all the time. They do it all, they do it all the time. And I, I, said, when we, I said, when we get ready to go back, we're going to have this couple been baptized about six months. <laughs> oh, you know what? Let me tell you something right now. Let me tell you something right now. Before we left the organization, oh, there was yeah. a newly baptized sister yeah. that had married one of the elders in our congregation. And she was trying to invite me out for field service like I was a spiritually weak person because we weren't going out in service. <laughs> I was like, oh, I look at oh, like she was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's oh, that was so crazy. It's yeah. Oh, it's my yeah. God. Yeah. yeah, there was this one Bethel couple that um, came to visit. And, um, you know, and here's the thing, though. Here, oh, this is the thing. When I would go visit, because, you know, I'm transparent, right? So people haven't seen me in a while, so it'd be new people in the hall, right? And so they were like, oh, so what congregation do you go to? And I was like, this one, I'm just inactive, right? Because I would just call myself out. Like, I ain't even gonna let y'all talk about it, you know, whisper to one another. I was like, oh, no, I I, I go to this party. This is where my card is, but I'm inactive now, you know, so I, I haven't been active for a while. So uh, the Bethel couple that was there, you know, and I really loved her too. I mean, I love, you know, you know how it goes. So she says, well, 
Tracy, like, you know, what's going on? What's up? And I just looked at her and she answered my question. She was like, it's like you give, you give, you give, and they take, take, take. And I looked at her and said, bingo, that's it. (laughs) You know, and we just smiled and um, left it at that. Yeah. But yeah, you go back and they, you know, want to know who are you? I'm like, Tracy, Howard. Same person I've always been. This is where my card is. No, I'm um, inactive. I'm probably going to die. I'd be answering the questions before they even ask. Yeah, I understand that I'm going to die. And you won't remember me anyway, right? Because, you know, nothing's going to be called to your mind and heart. So, you know, that's pretty much it. I've come to accept that. And I would just, they would just look at me like, well, damn. I'm like, there you have it. That's what you're going to tell me in the long run anyway. So let me tell you before you tell me. <laughs> I'm gonna beat you to the, I'm gonna beat you to the punch. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, you got Tracy got so many good experiences. I mean, you know, but but you know what? I'm gonna tell you something right now. And and you probably didn't have any um PTSD after you left, did you? Uh, I don't know what's um you know post traumatic. You know, I had. <sighs> Well, I mean, I did drown a couple of bottles of wines, you know, on a regular basis that I had to like. Nah, we have bro- we have girls who did that every day. <laughs> <laughs> they still go to the meetings, and they right? still do meetings, you know. Yeah, yeah. we had we had yeah. governing body yeah, members drowning themselves in liquor. I know. So come on now, I know, right. Yeah, right. but I'm just you saying, know. it's like you're you're coding it. You know what I'm saying? You're coding it. And so right. I, I, you know, I went through a point where I was like really annoyed. And I'm a type of person that if I'm having an issue or I, there's something, you know, not right, I like going to the source, you know, talking to the people. So I'm trying to have real conversations with the brothers and sisters about, you know, things that I'm like, well, I don't really see why we need to, um, like do that. I'm like, you know what, you know what I'm sick of now? I'm sick of these kingdom melodies. I'm like, don't we sound dead? I'm like, and why can't we put some drums in it, you know, or have some, something with a little, with a little flavor. Like why they all got to sound classical with no instrument and no, yeah, no fellow feeling. Right. And they would be like, ah, Trish, you crazy. I'm like, no, I'm serious because it's irritating me a little bit. Right. So then I realized that as I start expressing how, you know, just certain things that was bothering me, you know, they just was like, Wow, we can't. And one brother, I went up to him. It was after I said, I want to talk to you now. I was like, let's have a talk. I want to have a real talk. And he was like, not now. I go, if not now, when? Because this is when I was really. So that was my PTSD. I was like going in, wanting to have these conversations. And they was kind of like backing up, not wanting to have it. So I just told myself, leave it alone. You know, just leave it alone because. You know, I'm not the most tactful person in the bunch. And, you know, I would say things that, you know, how I was really feeling. So I think that was a part and you could call that. And I used one time two sisters came to study with me and I used I was throwing the F-bomb out a lot. You know, I was like, F this and I don't give a and I don't care. And they were cool, you know, they were just sitting back. So the sister was like, she was like, oh, you angry. (laughs) I was like, yeah, because after that, who thinks that we're going to, you know. And so, yeah, so I had 
you know, those episodes <laughs> where I went off. But I said it to, you know, the people who was in the organization. You know, I wasn't going to tell somebody who wasn't a witness. I'm like, I'm telling you how I feel. You know, so Tracy, so, you're um, saying, so you're saying that you're, so Tracy, you're saying that your 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 issues were really with the governing body. Would you say that? Uh, yeah. Now, when I'm looking back, you know, and just their manipulation, I'm like, how do you claim to love and care for people? And you're manipulating them. It's like that script that, you know, they always use that scripture. Well, you know, um, with religion, they're they're not going in and yet they're not allowing as a result, other people can't get in. Right. Right. So I'm like, you are actually that person, you know, saying that you're connecting someone to a God and source and you're actually the enemy. Seriously. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and, and and I tell you this, I tell you this and I tell no lie. If I'm ever walking down the street, if I go in the hall and see one, I would totally um be like, so I would address, t- tap on those issues. Like, uh, so you're a governing body member? And I would really want to have a discussion with one of them, like real, real talk. Like, let's have a conversation. You know what I'm saying? Since you've got all these people following you, right? So people should be able to have a relationship with you and sit down and talk with you and ask questions like, who are you a celebrity? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you can tell. Right. I hit them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they <laughs> a joke. Yeah. Joke. It's pretty. Bad. Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. The people I love, the people I love. But, you know, and then, too, it also comes to a point where people do to you what you allow. So mm-hmm. we have to take accountability, too. And learn how to respect our inner gut when our intuition is telling us something. Yeah. Respect it and follow it. That's what Jesus yeah. said. Follow it. Yeah. You went to a, yeah. you know. So you, I mean, you can blame them because they are shady, you know. But people have to take accountability, you know. And right. so when your life, you feel like you wasted fifty years. Okay, you can blame them fifty, but you're gonna have to take accountability for that of the fifty percent because when your body and your mind is telling you that this is not right and you're not feeling right, you got to listen to yourself. How's somebody gonna tell you how how to listen to you? You know, what I'm how are you gonna tell me how to think? That's yeah. a good point that you're making there because it's almost like a person that says, "I am sick physically," and somebody right. saying, "Oh, don't go to the doctor." But um, you're right. you're saying to yourself, hey, look, I'm going to make this appointment. I got to find out what's going on. So you, I hear you saying right. that we should do the same thing with our religious beliefs. Spiritually. If, it, if something doesn't exactly. seem right spiritually, you need to figure out what, what it is. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really good right. point. Yeah. And, that's, and, and that's I guarantee what, yeah. you, once you stay away, you start feeling better. Yeah. And that's really what the psychology comes in at. Because every yeah. single, we have asked people for, for years, did you ever have doubts and questions? And we have not really met any person who said that they didn't. And so the question comes up, well, then if you had doubts and questions, why didn't you carry through? And the answer is always the same. You were in an environment that simply dismissed it. And so, and that was yeah. the point that you made is the whole point. You said, this is what you said. You said, when I saw y'all guys video, the first thing I said was, I ain't crazy. And that's the whole point. You are made to feel like you are the problem. And if you feel you are the problem, then you're not going to do anything. And that's why it, once people get a confirmation, I'm not the only one who see this crazy stuff going because you'll be talking and, 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 and we 
I'm just telling you, you, you the psychology they is amazing. Them. How yes, we have is. been we mm. have been so conditioned to dismiss our own pain. You, your leg hurting? No, oh, it feel okay, man. You are gonna be all right. Your leg not hurting, man. And after a while, you're like, okay, and you just dragging it down the street. <laughs> and, and, and 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 so that's the way it was. This organization, we were conditioned, and that's why the lady see now. We mm-hmm. just did a video on on classroom condition. We got a couple other things in the pipeline, and right. um, and so we're gonna touch on how the psychology in this organization is just so powerful and so good. I mean, them guys are thorough. And that's kind of how we end it's up dangerous. where we are. It's very dangerous. Very it dangerous. is. Yeah. So, 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 um, uh, Tracy, you want to tell our listening audience how you put your life back together after leaving the religion in terms of your, you know, like your, your, your employment, you know, getting yourself together with getting your insurance yeah. and stuff like that. How did you, how did you get those things straight? Yeah, well, because, I mean, you know, common sense always kicked in. I mean, I've always taken care of myself. Remember, before I became a witness, I've been working since I was 14. Let's be clear about that, because I'm not I'm not a trust fund. I ain't with a trust fund family. So uh, I've been working since I was 14 years old, and I was working full-time up until I start, you know, um, pioneering. So, um, you know, I have office skills, I have communication skills and, you know, I'm good at anything I do and I'm a quick learner. Right. So when I just stopped, you know, it was kind of like riding a bike, you know, you just have to, you know, go out there, put yourself out there. I started working for the um, DOE. So I had to go to college and get some credits because I, you know, I didn't go to college um, at all, but I'm pretty much self-taught. I'm a big reader, so I read up on things, you know, but you get a certificate where you need it, uh, whatever you want to, you know, specialize in and just go for it. And my um, my work ethic pretty much um, speaks for itself. You know what I mean? I let my yes mean yes, my no, no. I'm honest, uh, you know, I'm productive. And so there was a time when um, when I wanted to start working full time and you know how you now difference between friends and just like people that's not in the truth. Right now, if a friend was to refer me to a job and then, you know, I I start, you know, I'm not no longer the truth. You'd be like, well, you know, I got you that job. Remember Jehovah's the one that got you that job. I'm like, well, um, I actually interviewed for the job. You referred me, but it was my qualifications that got me the job. Right now, there's people that's not in the organization that recruit people all the time. You never hear them saying, oh, I got you the job, you know. So, again, that whole guilt thing that they want to use, Jehovah, well, you know, you wouldn't have got this job if it wasn't for me referring you negative. My work ethic got it. So, um, you know, you just kind of like go with your gut and your flow. And don't be afraid to ask questions, you know, and communicate with people. And if you need help and assistance, there's people that's here to help and assist you. Contrary to what they tell you, nobody's out there. Nobody's going to be there for you. You know, everybody's against you. You know, they all worldly lies. I tell you, it's all lies. 
that ain't the case. So there's programs out there that can assist and help you. And of course, there's pros and cons. You got negative people and positive people in every organization throughout the entire world. So you just connect with the people that's positive and that's going to assist and help you. And then, of course, back it up, you know, apply the things that you're being taught, learn and, and try to put it into use. But, um, you know, life is a gift. It's beautiful. So it's really not that hard transitioning. The only way you can get stuck is if you stay stuck with that thinking and that mentality. And you ain't going to go nowhere because that's fear-based. And, you know, it does say that love throws fear outside. So, you know, that whole fear-based mongering thing is not healthy. So, you know, get rid of that. And, uh, you know, believe in yourself. Know that you're created in God's image and anything that you put your mind and heart to, you can go. That the spirit will help you along. You do have guardian angels over your life. They never tell you that either. You know, they're the only ones that have it. Nobody else have it. Just them. That, that ain't some craziness. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you can make that switch. That'll be all right. <laughs> So Tracy, we're gonna send we're gonna send people who are down and out and having a hard time recovering. We're gonna send them to you because you seem like you really mastered this after leaving. So you can go out and give a couple of motivational speeches and get people back on track. <laughs> yes. I love oh, it. Oh man. I love it. Mm. Uh, you know, and it's a day at a time. It doesn't mean that I don't go through ups and downs, but it has nothing to do with them. You know what I'm saying? It's just life in general that people encounter. But um, I think the, the first thing for being productive is just, you know, sweeping them somewhere under the rug. Mm, yeah, but yeah, you gotta, you know, you gotta mess. deprogram. You have to deprogram from the yeah. thinking, like you said, because. When mm -hmm. I left the organization, one of my old roommates who was actually still at Bethel at the time, she when she found out that we stopped going to the meeting, she goes, you got to get back to the meeting. She goes, something bad is going to happen to you if you don't get back. And, I know. and I'm thinking to myself, huh? This didn't make any sense, you know? That was oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. right. And all the things that happen to people who are witnesses and no shade. Right. They get cancer. They get in car accidents, you know, and it just happens to be oh, an unforeseen occurrence. But if it happens to anybody else, it's because they're not doing Jehovah's going you know. to the meetings. Right. They, they yeah. got that down to the science, that's though. You, you know, they got that down. That ain't logical. <laughs> yes. They don't, they, they don't think. They don't right. teach you it's to true. think. You can't even think for yourself. Well, you know what? I don't know if you remember this or not, but when I was in the organization, I remember people saying, oh, you know, my aunt died. And I remember asking them, was she a Jehovah's Witness? And they, if they would say no, I'd be like, oh, that's why they died. But I mean, I didn't say that, but that was the attitude. We didn't, we didn't have any empathy for people. That they lost a loved one. That they, yeah. If they want to witness, we we act like we didn't care about that. You know. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very bad, bad environment. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of like. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? You you know what annoyed me, and while I was at, the funerals, because they never really talked about the person. It was just scriptural, and I'm like, what? Can we honor the? I mean, can we just share something? about the person and how much we love them, but everything was like a scriptural 
thing. And I got irritated. I, it's just so many things that just started irritating me at the end that I had to go. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. No well, Tracy, we, we totally, totally enjoyed this interview. Oh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to try to see if I can put yeah. a lot of the, a lot of it in here. Just, this is just going to be like uncut. I'm I'm gonna cut it, but I'm I'm gonna edit it. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be like a lot of people are gonna be like they had a lot of fun in that interview, right? <laughs> you know, it was a it was truly um, a, a pleasure, really. Um, and I'm like, hey, if I'm gonna um, sit down and interview with anybody, it's gonna be <laughs> Lady C and JT because they were the well, we first well, we thank people you. We thank I saw. You. <laughs> well, we thank you. <laughs> we, we appreciate, like, we appreciate I that. them. Yeah. <laughs> well, you all, do. All, all the people we know and we have left behind who yes. are still on that treadmill is very, very sad. Mm-hmm. It is very, very and sad. And they're looking yeah. at us and calling us weak and, spirit- and spiritually weak and mm-hmm. all this kind Jane. of stuff. It's actually right. Jane. And yeah. they just don't know. If I was to see them. any of them. Yeah, if I was to see any of them, it's all open arms and love, you know. Unless you, unless you throw shade, I'm not giving you any. You know what I'm saying? Well, you ain't, it's, hey, it's, you're it's a ain't mad at you. Ain't mad at you. Right. So, <laughs> and we're not. I mean, I, I tell you, know, the, the people I know, I'm not mad at them. I feel sorry for them. <laughs> right. but I'm not mad at them. Exactly. Right. Because exactly. as that as that, as that yeah, old clock, exactly. you know, as old man time. Ticks away, man. These guys are just getting further and further behind. Further and further behind. Absolutely. So anyway, we want to thank you, Tracy, for being on the program. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.